So again, this morning, we do continue here in Galatians chapter 3. And as a reminder, as you can see in our series subtitle on the screen, this whole book of Galatians that we've been talking about is about the one true gospel, meaning the one true good news, the message of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that for over two chapters now, and and two weeks ago, we saw it in how Paul started this chapter 3 here. Because if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we saw to begin this chapter how Paul kind of sternly addressed these Galatians in love because they were starting to believe and follow typical religion instead of true Christianity, instead of Jesus' gospel. As we saw there, they made Christianity, yeah, Jesus kind of gets you in, and of course Jesus is God and Savior, but then practically after being saved, they basically made it a man-centered, works-focused religion. And to begin chapter 3, Paul addressed that firmly with, quote, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that's because as we talked about this type of rule-based, works-focused, willpower Christianity isn't Christianity. And finally on that, as we said two weeks ago, and and practically for all of us, remember, the biggest issue with this and, and why this really matters for all of us is because if that's all Christianity is, if Jesus gets you in, but then it's primarily after that about our efforts or our works or our church or our organization or what we can do for God, if that's all it is, then and guess who takes the back seat in our professed Christianity? Jesus does. Christianity then suddenly, all of a sudden becomes about no longer the Spirit enabling us to love and trust Jesus and be amazed at what He's done for us. And instead, the focus of such religion becomes on us and what we can do. Which brings us now to our passage this week. So now this week, we're going to pick up in verse 6. And here we're seeing Paul continue to talk about true Christianity, which is the opposite of that works-based religion. And in doing so, Paul's going to explain more about what faith is, what trust is. Because he's making the point that Christianity is primarily about faith, about trusting the Lord. But that being said, just talking about faith can sound vague. Because again, as all of us know, even those who fall into this typical works-based Christianity will say, of course, that they believe in God and believe in Jesus. And so they'll say they have faith. And so the deeper question really is, but so what does it mean then that Christianity is about faith as opposed to being more works focused? And it's in clarifying that which brings Paul to talk about Abraham and Abraham's example of faith. And so that's what we'll be spending our whole time on this morning, talking about faith and especially Abraham's example of faith. Which brings us to an outline of how we'll cover all this. So in basic, we're actually just going to have one overarching question this morning with three answers to that question. And as for the question, it's a question we're going to ask because I'm sure for many of us, we might know that Abraham is often brought up in the New Testament as an example of faith. And for example, we might know some of the stories about how Abraham trusted God when he was called to leave his homeland. Or we might know the stories about how Abraham believed the Lord when the Lord promised him a son, even when he and Sarah were really old. 
And we'll be talking a little bit about those this morning as Paul quotes the Old Testament twice in our passage. But all that said, still, if you think about it, the overarching question in the context of Paul bringing up Abraham and Galatians here, because remember, Galatians is all about the gospel of Jesus and faith in Jesus. And so the overarching question is, but how is Abraham really an example of our Christian faith when Abraham never had faith in Christ specifically? If that makes sense. Meaning it's interesting that Paul goes back to Abraham when Abraham existed over a thousand years before the first coming of Jesus. And yet Paul still assumes that if we want to know what it looks like to have faith, to trust God, we do well to look at Abraham. And so the question is, why why is that? How is Abraham a good example of faith? And so that's kind of our overarching question. And to answer that, we're going to see three ways that Abraham is an example of faith for us. Three ways. And those three ways will be our three sections, and we'll just reveal them as we go. Let's then begin our first section with our first way that Abraham is an example of our Christian faith. And for this, we'll be in verses 6 and 7. So look down at your Bibles, church. Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So I'll actually begin talking about verse 7 there, because there you can see where Paul is going with this whole discussion about Abraham. Because there you can see the issue is, who really are the sons of Abraham? Right, and this theological issue probably isn't that big of a deal for us this day or today, but it, it was a big issue back then, and it still is for many Jews today, because, because in Jesus' time, they thought that the sons of Abraham were primarily those, number one, who were of Jewish descent, right? And number two, those who kept the Old Testament law good enough. And if you read Jesus' teachings and his interaction with the Jews, you can see how that assumption comes up over and over. And yet, what did Jesus teach? And and what does Paul say in verse 7 about who really are the sons of Abraham? Well, it's not those just of physical Israelite descent, nor is it those who obey the Old Testament law well enough. None of us do. Instead, it's, quote, those of faith. Which brings us back to verse 6, because here we'll see our first way that Abraham's faith is an example for our faith. And in fact, you can see that that's what Paul intends because in the beginning of verse 6, he writes, just as Abraham, which could even be loosely translated as, look at Abraham or take Abraham as our example. And so how is Abraham our example of faith? Well, that's where that quote in verse 6 comes in. It's because Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, as to why Paul would choose this quote to show how Abraham's faith is an example for us. We need to go back and hear where he's quoting in this Old Testament story. And for this, we'll be in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. You can turn with me there if you want, or you're welcome to just listen, because I'll read it out, out, out loud, whatever's easier for you. But Genesis 15 is what Paul is quoting here. And knowing what happened in that story there helps us really see more why Paul would bring this up when talking about Abraham's faith. 
So Genesis 15, as for context, Genesis 15 is very, at the very beginning of your Bible, and it's only a few chapters after Genesis 12, which is where God first calls Abraham. And in God's first words to Abraham, he already promises Abraham, or Abram initially, that his offspring would inherit the land, and that through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed, which we'll talk about later. But in Genesis 15 here, Abraham still didn't have a son, which was a big deal. And so in that context, this is what happens. And, and you're going to hear what Paul quotes towards the end here. This is, this is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your very shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So, so in that story, God initiates right this conversation with Abram, and in response, Abraham is honest with the Lord, asking him why he hasn't given him a son if his offspring is supposed to bless the nations. And it's in that context that the Lord famously answers Abraham by telling him to look at the stars, asking him to number them and saying, so shall your offspring be. Which finally then leads to that verse 6. And that's where the Bible narrator tells us, and Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so that's the story. And that's what Paul is quoting in Galatians 3, which you can turn back to now if you're still in Genesis. That's the context. But now the question is, so, so let's dig in together. So what was Abraham's faith then in Genesis 15? Or for us, what is it that the New Testament Apostle Paul apparently thinks is an example of our faith from a story like that? And the answer is in those two simple words from Genesis 15 and in Galatians 3 here. What did Abraham do? What was his faith? Well, simply but profoundly, he believed God. He believed God. Not just believed in God, he believed God. And it's really that simple. And that's why I think Paul is quoting this, because it was Abraham's believing God that counted him as righteous. Right? It wasn't that he did a bunch of things for God, nor was it that he then followed the Lord perfectly after this. He, he didn't. Rather, it's that in history, the person of God told Abraham something and the individual person of Abraham in response believed God and, and so it is for us and, and that's then our, our first way that Abraham's faith is an example for us he believed God but, but now to really understand this a bit more think with me about what this meant for Abraham and, and what it means for us because because for Abraham as you heard in this story, it wasn't just that Abraham or that God spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed, but more specifically, as you heard, God promised Abraham something, 
And then Abraham believed that spoken promise. And for him, the the promise that God spoke was plain. It was that he'd have a son. And so what Abraham did was he believed God when God said that. He trusted God's promise. But but what about us? Well, well, it's here that the New Testament and and how the New Testament talks about all this is really helpful because because the truth is, church, right? In one one sense, we're, we're not like Abraham. Because, for example, we're in a really different time in history. Uh, Jesus has fully come. The gospel is more fully revealed and more. And yet the reason why Abraham is our example still is because what the New Testament gospel in essence is, or what the message of Jesus in essence is, is God not only doing something, but the reason the gospel is a message is because in the gospel, God is also speaking and promising something. And in fact, that's why the gospel is called the gospel, because it's good news, right? And news isn't news unless it's relayed, unless it's told, unless it's spoken. And so the gospel is what Christ has done And it's what God promises to us. Or to say it another way, the gospel is the promise from God himself that Jesus Christ really took the sins of anyone who trusts in him. It's the promise from God himself that through Jesus we are reconciled forever to God, even though we're so sinful. It's the promise that Jesus is going to come back one day to this earth and make everything right and beautiful again. And more and more promises. And, And so for us, we are a lot like Abraham. It's just that God's promise to us is fuller. It's better. And so what's our response supposed to be to the gospel promises? Well, the same as Abraham's. Our response when we look at the promise of the gospel is to be like Abraham's response when he looked at those stars. We hear what God says We hear God's promises, and we don't just believe in God, but we hear God's promises, and we believe God. God speaks and promises. We hear and believe, just like Abraham. And as a side note, really quickly, before we do then move on to our second section, I want you to see that this isn't just me making up this idea of believing a promise. Instead, quickly skim with your eyes, if you want, to verse 22 of this chapter, verse 22 of chapter 3, because this whole discussion of the Old Testament and faith is going to continue throughout all chapter 3. And then in verse 22, Paul says this, and notice how similar this is, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, the gospel is God's promise for those who believe in Jesus. And so again, just to be clear, what in essence is our faith? Well, just like Abraham, we hear God's promise and we believe him. And very practically then, this shows us that we don't do anything to earn God's promise. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. God has already spoken and promised the gospel. We don't do anything to earn him promising. Instead, all we do is we hear it and we believe him. Which 
brings us to the second way that Abraham's faith is an example of our faith. And found for this, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9. And this way we'll build on top of the first way. Because first, as we just saw, Abraham believed God and believed God's promise like, like we do. But now, in verses 8 and 9, we'll see Paul use another quote from Abraham's story to show another aspect of what Abraham even more specifically believed. So look down to your Bibles. This is Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what Paul does here is is really interesting, and it's almost strange. Because what Paul does here, see it for yourself in verse 8, is he says that the scripture proclaimed the gospel to Abraham when God told Abraham, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And and for the sake of the time, we we won't go to this uh, passage here in Genesis, but this is famously now from Genesis chapter 12, which is the first time that God speaks to Abram and tells him to leave his homeland. And God's first message to Abram there ends with these words that Paul quotes and you shall all the nations be blessed. And briefly, just so you understand it, Paul's point is that this international blessing is the gospel, not in that this is the full gospel of Jesus Christ revealed, but instead, Paul's point is that the good news that God has always intended, God's good news, even all the way back in Genesis 12, has always included the nations. It's always intended to include the Gentiles, which remember, just so you know, in the original Greek, the word Gentiles and nations are exact same word. And in that situation of Galatia here, this is a big deal because remember, these false teachers were teaching that in order for people to be saved, yes, they needed to believe in Jesus, but they also essentially needed to become Jews. They needed to obey circumcision and obey the Old Testament law. But Paul's point is that if that's true, then the gospel would be for Jews only. Because people would need to become Jews in order to be saved. But that's not the gospel. And Paul, who himself was an ethnic Jew, is saying that that wasn't even the message that Abraham believed. Instead, God preached this international blessing aspect of the gospel even back then to Abraham. Or to say it another way, which will apply to us a little more, when when Abraham believed God, he wasn't just believing that God was going to do something personally for him in giving him a son. That's true. But more so, Abraham from the very beginning, his first call from God, he knew the goal. And the goal, amazingly, was God eventually blessing the whole world through his son, through his offspring. And and as a quick side note, because Paul's literally going to talk about this in two paragraphs, Abraham's offspring ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus himself. But Paul's point is that Abraham's faith, therefore, wasn't just that God would do something for him, but for the whole world. And for us then, that's then the second way that Abraham's faith is an example for our Christian faith. And to be honest, for us, this aspect of faith may not be as challenging 
as it was for those first readers of Galatia here? Because, because by God's grace, I, I would say that for most of us as Christians these days, we, we understand the international aspect of the gospel. Right? By God's grace, we, we usually don't struggle with this theologically based ethnic pride that the Jews did back then. And that's because looking out here right now, most of, not all of us, are Gentiles. And, and so this, this probably isn't directly the same issue that we have that they did. And, and yet the truth is, often we just simply forget or downplay this aspect of our faith. And so it is good for us to be reminded of this. Because for Abraham, I'm sure this was in the forefront of his mind often. God had promised him that he'd have a son and that they'd inherit the land. But also, I mean, incredibly, God had promised him that what was going on with him would eventually bless the whole world. And so it is for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our faith, we know that it's not just that God wants to save individual people, nor is he primarily focused just on America or the West or wherever we happen to be from. Instead, God's plan has always gloriously been international. Right? And that's why, for example, we see in the last book of the Bible, we started in Genesis, and now we can go to Revelation, and the picture of heaven we see there is these believers around the throne singing, quote, and you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Right? Because that's true. Right? What we see in Galatians 3 here is that that was even part of the message that Abraham believed. Right, it's certainly still part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so again, very simply, the point is, like Abraham, it's for us to believe this. It's for us not to just be prone to think that it's about me individually or about our church or our city or our country or the West or wherever we happen to be from. Instead, the gospel of Jesus Christ right now is God's international plan to save and to bless the nation. And it will happen. God has promised us that. He has told us that. And so that's what we aim for. And that's what we believe. Which finally leads to the third way. That Abraham's faith is an example for our faith. And to be honest, this isn't technically how our faith is like Abraham's. Instead, this is more of a way that Abraham's story and faith leads Paul to talk about what our now Christian faith is like. And, and if that's confusing a little bit, just, just stick with me. But for this, we're actually going to be back in just verse 8. And, and just to be transparent, th- this, this point actually wasn't something that I was planning on talking about when I first looked at and studied this passage. But I want to bring this up because this is something very unique that Paul does here in verse 8. And it applies to us. And not only that, but also just personal note, uh, one of the books that I was reading uh, on vacation that I'm reading right now is this book that, by this theologian John Frame titled The Doctrine of the Word of God. And maybe that sounds a little bit dry, but it's, but it's actually one of the best books I've ever read. And it's just a whole book about how God talks about his own word, about how God speaks in the Bible, and about, God, about how God has always ruled his people intentionally through his word. 
But I bring that book up because as I was reading it last week on vacation, the author, John Frame, at one point makes a strange statement about how sometimes in the Bible, quote, the scriptures are spoken of as if they were God. Let me repeat that. Sometimes, quote, the scriptures are spoken of as if they were God. (laughs) And in the first Bible verse that the author of that book cited to prove this point happened to be Galatians (laughs) 3.8, which as I was reading it, I knew I'd be teaching on as soon as I came back. And in basic though, that's what we're going to see here. The scriptures are spoken of as if they were God. And that has a big application for us. We'll talk about it. But now to see what this actually means and to see it for yourself, look with me again at verse 8. And as you read this, notice what Paul actually says here. Galatians 3.8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So think about it. It would have perhaps made the most sense for Paul to say here that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Because in basic, that's what happened. Right? God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12 and told Abraham, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And yet, did you notice that that's technically not what Paul said happened? <laughs> Instead, it's, it's almost clunky sounding. Because notice what Paul actually says, quote, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. (laughs) And and so think about what what that means. To begin on this, we need to know that the word scripture in your Bible is literally just the Greek word for writing. It's a simple word. It's just the Greek word for writing, or scriptures is writings. And we in English have traditionally called it scripture or scriptures simply because scriptura is the Latin word for writings. In classic us, we maybe think it's more lofty sounding or something. But in basic, that's all that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the writing. But it's what that writing does. It's the verbs that it does That's incredible. Because first, notice, the writing foresees. I mean, think about it. A writing foreseeing something? And then also, second, the writing preached even before it was written down. But that's technically what your Bible says. And so, yes, in the story, it was God who spoke. But notice, in God's word here through Paul, it's the writing that foresees and preached. And so that's strange. But bringing that home to us now, here's why this matters. So remember, Paul didn't need to write it that way. It would have made much more sense for him to say that God foresaw and God preached, but instead the writing foresaw and preached. And so why might that be? Well, simply, but oh, so profoundly, it's because Paul is teaching And he clearly assumed here that God really speaks in the writing. God speaks and acts in the writing, in Scripture. I mean, he really does. 
And I think Paul wanted that to be clear. Back then he wanted to be clear because as he was appealing in this argument to these two Old Testament passages or texts or writings, he wanted to be clear that he wasn't just appealing to random words. Instead, these were writings that are so closely related to God himself that they could almost be talked about and and said to be God himself, as, as strange as that sounds. Maybe just like if you were to hear my voice, you could say, that's, that's Ryan. And so I think Paul's point is to show that if the writings proved his argument, then God was on his side. But then for us today, this matters because it could also be that God had Paul write it like this here because back then, while Abraham in these stories heard more directly from God before the writings were written, and so Abraham's believing God was, was him directly every once in a while hearing from and believing God. While that was the case for Abraham, now the norm that Jesus and the apostles, like Paul here, laid down for us isn't that. Instead, it's that God speaks in Scripture, in the writing. And that's then what takes central place in our hearing and believing God. And, and, and we know that that's what the Jews emphasized back then in their theology. And it's Jesus who all the time agrees with them. And so do the apostles like Paul. God really speaks in the scripture, in the writings. And he is still presently speaking in the writings. And to be clear, again, this isn't just here that this is taught in the New Testament. Instead, the New Testament often just assumes that the living God is speaking in the writings. And for example, hear this quickly from Hebrews 3.7. Hebrews 3.7, because this is one of my favorite verses to show this. Because in Hebrews 3.7, the author is about to quote Psalm 95, the whole psalm. And yet he opens up his quote with this. As the Holy Spirit says... And then he quotes Psalm 95. (laughs) And so the point is, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, says, which is a present tense verb, meaning he is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And what is the Holy Spirit saying? Psalm 95. (laughs) Which means that the Holy Spirit is presently speaking Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit is speaking the Bible which is amazing. And and so that said, bring us back to our topic this morning in Galatians 3 here about faith. The point is that this then really is the, the third way, if you will, that our text uses Abraham to talk about our Christian faith. Because, because our faith, like Abraham's, is hearing and believing what God says. Right? That's what faith is. But specifically for us, the question is, but where does God speak? And to be clear, the question isn't, where did God speak in the past? Instead, the question really is, where is he speaking now? Where is God presently speaking? And you saw for yourself in verse 8, the subtle but clear answer from the Apostle Paul is that God speaks in the Scripture, in the writing. He speaks in what has been written down because the scripture in our text foresees in our passage. The scripture preached in our passage all because God is so clearly connected with the scriptures in the apostles' minds because God speaks 
in the scripture. And so for us, really, if we want to hear and believe God, and this has been what the church has believed for thousands of years, we hear him and what he is saying in the writings. The writings are where God is speaking. That's what Paul assumes in verse 8 there, and that's how we live our lives of Abraham-like faith. Which, as a quick side note, is why, church, it's why reading and loving and studying the Bible is so important. It's not just because it's something we should do. Instead, it's because, as our text says in verse 7, we're those of faith. We're those who hear and believe God. And yet, if we're not often hearing God consistently in his word, which is where he speaks, then we can't believe what he says. Right? So we have to be people of the book, of the writings, because we hear and believe God in the scriptures and what he says in his written down word. And so that's our three ways that uh, our text helps us answer our overarching question. Our overarching question has been, how is Abraham our example of Christian faith? Even though Abraham never personally heard of Jesus Christ. And he was an example, though, still because he trusted God's promise, because he believed the good news of God's international blessing, and because he heard God and believed God. And we hear and believe God in the Scripture. Which now leads us to close with two quick things, two quick things. And the first is just going to be a way uh, for us to be reminded of why all this matters, what's at stake. And the second will be something to tell us how personal this is to be in our lives, in our daily lives. So first, as to be reminded of what's at stake in all this. So we've talked a lot about what faith is for Abraham and what it is for us, because that's in our passage a lot. But also, if you, if you noticed, what's also in our passage a lot is the result of if you have faith like this. And I say that because remember verse 6, it wasn't just that Abraham believed God, but the verse says that because this person of Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Meaning in God's courtroom, he was declared forever okay and right with God, even though he was a sinner. And then something similar comes up in verse 8, because remember in verse 8, what's at stake isn't righteousness, but blessing. And so being counted righteous and being blessed are at stake here, which is why Paul writes what he does in verse 7, saying, know then, this is something you need to know, that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And it's why he ends our paragraph in verse 9 again, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so I just want to point that out as we come to an end because that's then what's at stake here in Abraham's faith and our faith. Because the application question of this paragraph is, do you believe God like Abraham did? Meaning, do you look at what God has said, especially what he said in his good news about Jesus Christ, and do you believe him? Because if you're here and you realize that you don't really, then Paul's whole point here, building on what he said in verses 1 through 5, is that if your Christianity isn't primarily about Jesus and what he's done and what he says and trusting him, and if instead your Christianity is more about what you do or your church or your organization, then that's not being of faith. That's just more typical works-based religion. And remember, that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not 
what will lead you to be counted righteous, and that's not the way to blessing. Instead, like Abraham, we as Christians are those of faith. We're those who hear God's gospel in his word and we believe him. And so very simply, if you realize that you haven't been a person of faith like this, instead, maybe more of just a person of works or religion, then I pray that you come to faith this morning. I pray that you come to realize that Christianity, Jesus, amazingly, isn't so much about us and what we can do, but it's about God and Jesus and what he's done and what he says. And as for us, what we primarily do is we believe him. That finally leads us to now ending by trying to make all this about Abraham's faith and our faith really personal to our daily lives. And what I mean by this is I know, right, sitting in church on this Mother's Day morning with a a million things going on in your mind and your life, I know how easy it is to hear things like this, like about faith, and they can sound spiritual or religious or unattainable. And it can be like that to the point that then you can think it doesn't really have that much impact on your day-to-day life. But, but I want to tell you, this type of Abraham-like faith should have and can have a deep personal impact in your day-to-day life. And we know that because, again, think of Abraham. Because maybe you hear all this about Abraham's faith and his hearing from God and believing God, and you sort of think that he was just this exceptional person who had peace all the time, who heard from God all the time, and that everything was great. But that's just not true. Just read Genesis. Instead, for Abraham in his day-to-day, in his year-to-year life, it was hard. He was a real sinner. He had years and years of confusion. And even concerning God, I hope you know that God didn't, in the stories, talk to Abraham directly all the time. God didn't give Abraham all the answers. Instead, yes, a handful of times in Abraham's life, God did talk to him, but most of of Abraham's life wasn't this easy, peaceful life. Far from it. Instead, again, Abraham's life was tough. He wandered around. He waited on God for years and years. But do you know what Abraham had in the midst of all of that? God's spoken word. God's promises. And he believed what God said. He trusted what God had told him. I mean, think about it. That's primarily it concerning the story of Abraham. For years and years, through decades of trial and wandering and difficulty, Abraham, above all, trusted what God had spoken to him and what God had promised him. And so it is for us, brothers and sisters. And that's why a faith like this is supposed to be really personal in our day-to-day lives. Because let's be honest, life is often hard. And even when we go and we read our Bible, sometimes God can feel distant. And just like Abraham, we too are wandering here. We're sojourners here who aren't home yet. But guess what we have? God's word. God's promises. What God has said to us. We have God's message of the gospel. We have his promises like how he makes everything work together for our good. We have him telling us that he will come back one day and make everything good and beautiful again. We have his big books of writings where he speaks. And so what are we to do above all? 
hear him and believe him. That's primarily it. And as we do that, it doesn't mean that everything all of a sudden will be easy. It wasn't for Abraham, nor will it be for us. Nor does it mean that we'll totally understand everything and have all the answers. Abraham certainly didn't. Neither will we. But it does mean that through all of our lives, through whatever is going on, we can be those of faith. Not just because we believe with some leap of faith, not at all. Instead, it's because God is real. He really accomplished the gospel. He loves his people and is for us. He speaks to us in his word. Jesus is coming back one day, and until then, he's promised us everything that we need. And so, like Abraham, with whatever is going on, or honestly, with whatever may soon go on in your life, above all, our goal is simply to listen to what our loving God has told us and believe him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.